Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Well, obviously, we are not going to touch on every detail and aspect in the book of Revelation. Uh, I'm aware of that. It's my desire to think through and highlight several things in it uh, this morning um, that we would come to see that it is quite relevant to us as Christians that there is emphasis in it and through it for us today. Um, as I was thinking and preparing and beginning to journey through, you know, as soon as I got the assignment uh, of what uh, the book of Revelation, you know, there was this, wow, I, 30 minutes, what are we going to do? 35 minutes, how are we going to, to say this in a way that would be um, justice to the text? And, you know, I, I was asked almost immediately, um, how are you going to frame it or what are you going to say about it? And I immediately, as I, as I was thinking about Revelation, I just said, um, well, my main, my main thought is going to be book of Revelation. Everybody run for the hills. And there was a nervous chuckle like that. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the thought is, is that many of us, as we sit here this morning, I was thinking about hold some sort of end time view that is probably rooted in some concepts or ideas that come out of the book of Revelation. If you have any sort of Christian heritage, if you have any sort of intermingling with, with Christian thought about end times, about the return of Christ, about what happens um, in the end, of apocalyptic view, you have probably some idea or narrative that is rooted in this book of Revelation. It's a book that holds much mystery. It's, it's a book that... Uh, is designed uh, and written to a specific set of people that we are going this morning to, to pull out. What, what can we take from it? I want to give you a little backdrop this morning, and we'll start, we'll start from there, some, some historical context. It's not, uh, and before I do this, it's not my desire to start an argument with you this morning. I'm not here to tell you if you're right or wrong in your narrative or which narrative you believe, whether it's uh, rapture first and then tribulation, or I'm not here to, to, to nitpick and nuance. But what I am here to do is I hope that I can, I can elevate the text in a way that would cause you to see this mysterious book as being wonderful. And that's my desire this morning. And so, so book of Revelation, some history. It was written 90, between 93 and 96 AD by Apostle John uh, or John the Elder um, or John the Revelator, all the same person, some descriptor words for, for who the man was. Written while he was in exile on the Isle of Patmos, a desolate island that, that at the time was used for banishment uh, and imprisonment and torture. A barren island uh, really works to that advantage there. And so um, it, it was written by the Apostle John, a man who had already survived many attempts on his life. 
Um, and when I mean attempts, I don't just mean, you know, that, that he was able to, to, somebody shot an arrow and he went, whoo, wow, that was close. You know, I mean, I mean that he was actually, they laid hold of him and several times boiled him in hot tar in an attempt to torture and to kill him. And he survived many attempts on his life. Looking at his story in life, you can, you can begin to see that, that the journey of his life, that God had purpose for his life. And one of the ways that we see that is in the book of Revelation. Um, we're convinced of its authorship based on some of the phrases and wordings that he used in, in this book that is the same as some of the other books that, that he wrote. Uh, John... First John, some of the phrases that we find, three or four phrases in the book that we find in no other book of Scripture. And we can say, well, that is written like, and it's a style of, and we would say John. I want to highlight some main themes of the book of Revelation. Contrary to some belief, the main themes of Revelation are not that we would be fascinated with the nuances of the end times. Or about the times and times and times again, or the numbers that are dwell within it. But the, but the main themes of the book of Revelation are the glory of Christ Jesus, the salvation of Israel or his people that are grafted in through Jesus Christ. Um, one of the ways that we that, that's reaffirmed to us about that is, is in the very beginning in Revelation 1, he quotes Zechariah, which is about the people returning and God redeeming. That, that we're reminded, the main theme of the book of Revelation is that, is that the, the, the church of Jesus Christ is victorious. Come on. We can begin to, we can begin to get lost in a lot of the, the wow, this is great turmoil and, and how this looks and whoa, it's really dark. But at the end of the day, God's church is victorious. That's a, that's a theme through it, that, that there's a regular theme of prayer and worship of Jesus in the book of Revelations. We're going to look at this book um, addressing several things in just its basic element. And just here's a couple words. You can write them down. Go look at them on your own. We're going to, we're going to look at just some basic eschatology. Just address a few things about that. Eschatology. It's a term that means the study of the end times or the study of last things. I know some of you here in our church are probably experts on the subject. You have read book after book after book. You can probably put times and dates and you know the rhythms of the seasons and point to that. I'm not going to do that this morning. However, what I hope to do is to, to give a platform to us as people to be able to see that God has, has, has his heart and intention in that as he is calling his church back to him. Amen? And so, so we're going to address that. A few views on the end times, and, and some of you knowingly or unknowingly probably fall in one of these categories really quick. Okay. Seahawks are 125. We can do this. Okay. <laughs> Just a joke. Just... Just a joke. Sorry. Just a joke. Okay. All right. You all know what? Yeah, I see. Yeah. I know what you were thinking. Okay. A couple of views on the end times and its interpretation. If I were to say the word preterism, some of you would say, what? What, what, what is that? Okay, just, just, a, just 
some thoughts have been categorized out of the book of Revelation. It's a Christian view that interprets some or all of the prophecies of the Bible as events which have already happened. So that includes this, this book of Revelation that is, is already happening. This, this uh, school of thought believes that the book of Daniel refers to events that happened um, uh, up to B.C., and then Revelation is events happening in the first century A.D., events that have already happened. So if you read the book of Revelation, and you, and you see that, and you're thinking, wow, and, you know, I have to say there's some, there's some merit to some of the thought processes in the way that they, they look at some of those things, that would be a category that maybe you fall into. Um, there's, there's just a, a general category um, called futurism. Some of you are like, futurism, what? Yeah. Christians can fall into this category. It simply is that um, parallels may be drawn with historical events, but most of the prophecies are chiefly referring to events which have not yet been fulfilled, which means you're, you're reading this text and you're looking forward to times that haven't yet happened. You, you go to interpret and you're like, okay, hmm, has this already happened? No, we're, 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 this is going to happen in a future day. And so if you believe that, that like most prophecies will be fulfilled during a time of global chaos. I just stopped for a minute, because not to embarrass anybody, just so glad it wasn't me, right? It's really, honestly, I was preaching one time, and my own cell phone went off, and nobody was sitting over there, and it was, uh, yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, okay, so that's a thought. If you read the book of Revelation and you think that things have yet to happen and yet to be fulfilled, you fall into that category. Idealism, another way to say this idea is uh, the spiritual approach, but I would say that all of these approaches are rooted in a, in a spiritual desire to want to, to know God more. Um, it, you take the book of Revelation and you apply an allegorical overview over it. So, so when you look at it and you read something, you say, well, okay, I know it says candle stick, but what does that mean? Or I know it says this color horse, but what is that? Or I know it, it refers to this, but there must be a story behind the story. So, so that is an approach to uh, some people's view of end times and the book of, of Revelation. Well, this morning, I'm not going to be able to get into any of that this morning. I'm not even going to be get into any of the views of, of the end times in, in, in terms of... Um, you know, what your, what your thoughts on dispensation and, and all that is. All I'm simply going to do is highlight some things this morning that I hope will turn you uh, and pique something in you towards this book. And it will help you to begin to see it with the narrative for what it is. Because I believe that there are some messages in it that are very clear and speak right to us even today. One of the other areas I want us to see is that through the eyes of covenant, so eschatology, here's some background on, on how you can interpret Revelation, but, but, but even covenant, the idea that, that God is on the move for his people. And if the salvation of Israel or his redeemed people is one of his chief concerns and his ultimate aim, then we got to see the book of Revelation as one that is part of the covenant process in pursuit of his people. And that would include us if you've made a decision to follow Christ, you're grafted into the family, that God is a God of covenant. Amen? He is a promise-keeping God. And so, so when we think about this, we can think about Revelation ultimately as God keeping his covenant. He's a promise keeper. He will do what he says he's going to do. 
This, this, is, this, this fundamental thought right here out of the book of Revelations needs to rest in our soul and get deep as foundational. Here's why. And I didn't get to cover some of this first service, but here, here's why. Because when we rightly begin to understand how God moves and how God works and that he will fulfill what he sets out to do in and through us and in all of creation and in, in the times, we begin to see that we are not without hope. This is really important, that we are not a people who are hopeless, okay? Jesus is our hope. Remember that. Everything that we believe is rooted in what he did for us. So when, when life seems heavy and dreary and dark and overwhelming, like, like everything's breaking around us and we see wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence in the land and, and we get a picture that, whoa, uh, the earth around me is not well and my, my, my sense of being in it is not, doesn't seem secure, that, that right here we have a letter that's written to God's people reaffirming God. You're a covenant keeper, and our hope is in you. It's rooted in you, and you're going to do what you say you're going to do. That everything that we are hangs on the promises of God. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, so we see it through the lens of covenant. We see the book of Revelation through the lens of prophetic, okay? That we see it as, as that is a, it is a book of, of prophecy, it's a book of action. It's a book of, of um, appeal and response. And that appeal and response included them then and us now. That there are principles at play that we can apply in and through our life. That, that John, when he was writing, was writing a prophetic book. A book to foretell. A book to draw ahead. A book to let us know. A book to, to unveil wisdom and knowledge. Amen? Okay, so if you've got a Bible or electronic device, if you would open up to Revelation chapter 1. Okay, okay. I'm just going to open. We're going to read through verse 8. When you're there, say I'm there. All right. Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Amen. Right from the beginning of this text, we see John declare that what he's writing is prophetic, that it's going to be a written utterance about the things that he sees and the revelation that he gets of Jesus Christ, that its, that its sole purpose and its rooting in is to build up and to praise the one who laid down his life for us and freed us from our sins by his blood. This is powerful, that right from the beginning. Okay, and so this morning I thought, how, how are we going to do this in a way, uh, how am I going to be able to tell you what color horse is attached to what, and what time and time is what, and I'm not going to be able to. I finally just thought, through, like, what is the thing this morning? I want to appeal to you in the beginning. In the beginning of this book, in chapter 2, we're going to jump in to the messages to the early churches in, in Asia Minor, because I believe they have a lot of importance to us today as a people, and they're applicable to us today. So if you're in your Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to simply go through some of the, the messages to the seven churches. And so, the seven churches... These were churches in, in Asia Minor. These were churches that Christians um, either got saved in or fled to. These were churches that were ex- established in the city that had distinct uh, leaders, distinct gatherings, and were going about and had already been established for some time now. And so this prophecy or these letters that would have gone out or this word that went out to these, to these gatherings were, were words, see it in the light of covenant, see it in the light of prophetic, see it in the light that Jesus would be lifted up and people would be drawn to him, to the church in Ephesus. Chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Ephesus. It would have been, it would have been um, understandable to see that a letter or a message would have been coming out from Patmos, going right through to reach Ephesus. So Ephesus makes some good sense that a letter was written right there. It was also a prominent city in the province, more powerful than Pergamon politically and more favored than Smyrna uh, for the cults that resided there. The the letter of Ephesus warns against uh, false teachers. They were already vigilant about that. They were already vigilant about the evil in the world. And yet the charge to them was that they had forgotten their first love. 
It's interesting that they're commended, this church is commended for all the things that they did. You're, you're hanging on, you're keeping, you're keeping you know, the, the, the attributes and the actions, those things first. You're, you're, you're waiting patiently, you're bearing under the things happening for, for his name's sake. You, you haven't grown weary, you're, you're, you're rooting out false teaching, you're, you're being diligent, diligent about those precepts, except right there in the charge is that you have forgotten your first love. You have fallen away. And then it says to go back to the place. Remember, repent. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Now think about this. Here's some context. Church, this is a warning cry to the church. A group of people that were gathered in Ephesus. These were people who were people. Think this through, peoples. Probably very similar to us, right? I mean, these are letters to human beings on the practical. And God is appealing to them to say, I see everything you're doing and you're being diligent applying some of these principles, but you have fallen away. You've forgotten your first love. Have you had interactions with, maybe you have a romantic partner, maybe you're engaged, maybe you're married, you ever been in love? Maybe you felt this thing of interacting with one who has forgotten you. This is the heart cry of God. They're still going through the motions of relationship, but it's empty. This is what God is saying. It's like, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. Have you forgotten the attributes of who I am? He is God. He's God. Remember what I saved you from. Remember that you've been redeemed. Remember that you've been forgiven. Remember that I came and brought you life. Remember that you have a hope and a future. Remember who I am. It's good that you're doing all these other things, but it's empty. It's hollow. You're like a walking shell in some of these areas. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about some of the other churches, and, and uh, it just hit home. One of these next ones, Smyrna, to the church in Smyrna, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Parentheses. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The church in Smyrna. For three centuries, Smyrna had been one of the most important cities in Asia Minor. The message to Smyrna highlights some contrast. The one who is the first and the last, who is dead but came to life, speaks to those who are impoverished yet rich, persecuted by those who claim to be Jews but are not, and who, like Jesus, find life in death. I was thinking about some of these parallels to this church. God is saying, I know the struggles that you're having. I see your tribulation. I know this. 
You're, 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 you're in your poverty, but you are rich. This is really fascinating. Why would God say in your poverty, but you are rich? Well, it's really easy to, 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 die, to show the contrast even in our time today. If you make $20,000 or more annually, you are in the top 4% of the world's income. Just think about this, world income. $20,000 or more. If you make 30000 say 500 annually, you now are creeping to the top like 1.5% of the world's income. Just think about this here. Uh, think of all the things that happen as income accumulates. What do we generally do when income accumulates? We, 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 we gather We build, we possess, we store, we caretake, and before you know it, those things own us, right? Because the more we own, the more we have to take care of. And it's just, you see it, and it's not, it's not a negative, but it's interesting to see that, that the contrast here is you, your poverty, you have poverty, you're, but you're rich, you're lacking something. You're in great need. And if I thought about this, and I thought about, have you, ever, have you ever dealt with somebody, or maybe it's you, who had a poverty mindset? Just think about, I'm, I'm working some here for a minute. Poverty mindset. Poverty mindset would say that, that you never have enough, that, you're, that, that, that even when it's good, it's, it's bad, and that you're always, you know, you're, you're, your first position is, is hold and, not, and maybe not spend, or maybe it's just that, you know. And, and some of it is if you've ever walked through a series of great need, you know, like, I'm, i got to try and, oh, man, I just never know when the shoe's about to drop. And, and I, you know, but, but, but there's something about that. The poverty mentality is anti-generosity. Okay, because you feel like you have, you have nothing to, to give out from. But the truth is, is God is getting at something deeper in that. And he wants to break that. And, and especially the, uh, in the story of when Jesus highlights and they're standing and watching. And the widow comes by and gives what she gives. And he says, she's given more than all of these others. He was, he's getting at something. I think he's working at something all the time in us as people. Is that this mentality that, hmm, more, more, more. And it isn't just greed, okay? It isn't just greed. It's, it's the storing up for when that shoe's going to drop the next time. Or it's that not responding to that call of need or, or help. And you have it because, oh, man, I got to take care of, of what I got. You know, Lord, Lord, bring someone by who can't afford it. And you're just, you're just always, you know, you're not, you're not willing to, to step out and to buy that, that nicer thing that you know is going to last, but you'll buy the dollar thing, and I'm not against the dollar thing, okay? But, 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 but there's something rooted in this. It's like, it's like mindsets. It's, it's, and so, so God is getting at, though, he's, he's saying that you're not, you're not poor, but you have a poverty, and it's spiritual. It's spiritual. I, I mean, he's getting at something. You lack something here in the spirit. You, you, you lack something, even though, man, you, you have a heritage of great Christian stuff that's come to you. You, you lack something here, and, and, and I'm after that. I'm after this thing that would keep you from knowing me. So, 
And he says that you're, you're on the lookout. There are people that have crept into your gathering and, and, and you know, they call themselves Jews, but they are not. He's implying that, man, you've got imposters among you and you've allowed him to, to get in and do the thing that they, they would say they do. They've got in the groove and, and you've allowed him to, to influence and infiltrate. And, but, but I've got to come. I, I'm calling that you would rectify this, that you would see, that you would adjust, that you would posture yourself to see something is wrong. If you got an ear, listen to this. Listen to what's being said. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Sometimes I wish I was in there too. <laughs> the church in Pergamum, and I'm going to tie this kind of all, the next, the next church, and to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Whoo. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church, to the one who conquers. I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Wow, these are mysteries, right? These are mysteries. Like the book of Revelation in it is jewels and, and gems and, and studied through. It's like you keep reading. And, and I have to admit, when, when I first heard this assignment, you know, I'm like, okay, I need, to, I, need to, I need to read this again. I need to read this again. <laughs> I need to read this again. And before I knew it, I like read this. I'm like, oh, later here, like this here, here, here. It just be, something began to come to life about it. And so, so God's heart to the people, remember covenant. Remember, he's a promise keeper. Remember, he, he wants to accomplish what he says he will do, which is redeem and sanctify his church. So, so here we see Pergamum. Pergamum is, is a big city, maybe several hundred thousand people. And the citizens there were, were favored in with Rome. They were, they were favored. They, they had been able to see what was coming and to align with people that would give them uh, peace and, and all riches and, and stuff. But, but here in the midst of that, they were infiltrated with other teachings and other thoughts. And it wasn't just as though they, they heard another gospel. They gave themselves over to a, a far outlier of worship. Worship to other gods preaching other Jesuses, doing other practices. And, and here's the thing. It allowed them to have creep. And what I mean by that is, is they begin to adhere to this other thoughts and teaching and their behavior began to model what began to come in. And they gave themselves over to something that at the time uh, was not accepted for them and sexual fornication. They gave their bodies to sexual gratification outside of the covenant of marriage, God's design. Now, that's, that's a heavy charge, right? Through the eyes, through the ears, 
through the hands. They engaged in something that displeased the Lord. And so God's saying right at the crux of this, if you can hear what I'm saying, if you can read these words, stop. Stop. Repent. Do something different. This is not my will for my church. I'm out to redeem my church. Repent. Turn away. So, Thyatira, there's another. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceeded Exceed the first, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Whoo! Spirit of Jezebel. <clears throat> so the attitude in the spirit that would set itself up against the knowledge of God, that would lead you into rebellion against his authority, his ways, and his purposes. An outright disengagement from the ways of God. Uh, you, you could sum it up with this. Do what you want to do. Do what thou wilt. This is really important that you, that you come to see that we live in a time much nearer to the end than they lived. Come on, somebody. We're 2,000 years later. That makes sense, right? So we live in a time that's much nearer to the end than they were. These letters that went out to these churches in Asia Minor have, have just as much practical application into our lives than they did then also. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So think, the Lord is calling out specific attitude and heart and spirit that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And rebellion is the fruit of that, okay? And, and, and out of that comes practices. And some of the practices that are lent to is sexual immorality. This has come up in several churches now. And so we see that the heart of God, he's after some things that leave spot or blemish on his bride. And if you're redeemed in Jesus' people, and you are the bride of Christ... And he has come to redeem and restore and renew his bride. Amen? He's come to sanctify. This is for us even in, in our time. <clears throat> Thyatira. What we were just talking about. They were people that were going to come under persecution if they don't turn from the ways. This is really interesting. A lot of revelation hinges on the repentance of people. Okay, repent, repent, repent. 
If you don't repent, here's what's going to happen. If you miss this moment, okay, pay attention. It's coming. And so, 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 so in reading through it, the message for us, if your heart is inclined at first reading, you would take the message and posture yourself in first place, and that would be, wow, this message is for me. I repent, right? Like that's, that's the ultimate goal of this. You hear it, it does something in you, and like, like in the book of Acts, they hear, they hear the gospel, they hear this, and then it pierces them to the heart, and then they first question, what must we do with what we heard? Like, I take this, and wow. So that means then I, I put off, I lay down, I, I change my course, I, I don't engage in that behavior anymore. What displeases you, God? I'm going to go and do what pleases you. I'm going to lay down all this other stuff because you are a God who's in pursuit. And I'm responding to that pursuit of you in my life. All right. To the church in Sardis. Just a few minutes. We're almost done. To the angel of the church of Sardis, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. The people in this church, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Whoa. Here's one of the best ways of thinking about this in our application is you ever get into routine and you know what to do and you know, you know, you punch the clock, you know what to do. Maybe, you know, think of this even in service uh, to think of it as volunteering at Grace Harvest Church. You serve, you can, I hope it's not like this for you. And you get put on a schedule. And then you get notifications. So you serve once a month, some of you serve two, twice a month, some of you serve every weekend. And, and you get into this, this, this flow of, of rut and I don't want to wake up this morning. Just go and I got to do it. And after a while, your service becomes your purpose. And you've disengaged from the one whose service was the reason why you're serving. It's empty. I mean, I have to admit, I've, I've been in this place. I've been in this place. I've shown up. I've shown up. I mean, like, I'm here. Hi, how you doing? And, and, and I can walk out the door. I've walked out the door. And driving home and sometimes thinking, God, I, I wow, what just happened? I, I, something awakened in me, stir in me. I'm just aware. Sometimes I take the own uh, temperature of barometer of my soul, and sometimes it becomes really like, wow, not, not a good reading. Like, oh, wow, it's too, what, what is this? And this is not well. And this is the call of God for us as people as we read through some of this is that you would see the book of Revelation as prophetic in nature of what's to come, but also right for the moment, how do we apply these texts about, wow, God, you're doing that, you're treating it this way, and your call is to do this. Wow, this applies to me. I sit here, I am capable of empty works. And yet in the midst of that, we're a charismatic church. Right? So like even in worship, you could find yourself like, oh man, that's so good. That's so good. Whoa, yeah, man. 
And it can be easy to get caught up into this thing and lose the heart of, come on, am I the only one? Like, come on, let's be real about. And so God in his, in his, in his, in his, just his kindness that leads us to repentance says, hey, here's some, here's some, here's some words here. Here's some indicators. Here's some, some adjectives that you can look at. And if you fit any of these, come back to me. Come back to me. Don't do that. Stop. I'm here. Repent. Repent. Turn away. It's okay. Turn away. Come back to me. I am your God. Remember this. Get caught away. It's because the, the time and age we live. Oh, I'll get to that. Okay, another one. Philadelphia. Church of Philadelphia. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia. Right. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan and who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before you, your feet, and they will learn that I love you. Because you've kept my word about patient endurance. I'll keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the world. I'm coming soon. Hold fast that you hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. This is the great one. This is a great one. The letter to the church in Philadelphia. Wow, you have been steadfast. You've held on. You've been faithful. You've, you've been genuine about this faith in, in a nutshell that I am coming. Continue steadfast. Because we definitely don't want to be the recipients of the next one, which is to the church of Laodicea. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness is the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither hot. You're neither cold nor hot would rather that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Whoa. How often can we get caught up saying one thing, but maybe the Lord looks at us seeing another? I mean, I know he sees us through the eyes of Christ and we're redeemed and forgiven and whitewashed. But the people in Laodicea would have understood they had canals running into the city that had to bring water in. And by the time the water arrived into the city, guess what? Traveling through the canals and pipes, by the time it reached, it may have started cool and refreshing, but it ended lukewarm. And so they would, have, they would have read this and been like, whoa, I know exactly what's going We drink the water too. And it's like, meh. It's not refreshing. It's not anything. It doesn't cut. It's just like, meh. And so they would read this. And he's saying, I want you to choose this day who you'll serve. Honor me. Follow me. Obey me. Love me. Put your whole being into following me. It's, it's what his desire is. Make a decision. Make a choice. And then he goes on to tell them, you think you're this. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that we can build up who we are in our mind? And yet the truth is, is we're not all that. Even in the natural, 
Even in the natural, you know, it's like the world revolves around me. But the truth is the world revolves around so much more than me. I'm just one piece in this, right? Like there's much more than my, than my own world that I've concocted. I'm, and at the end of the day that we can see that we're selfish, we're lacking, we're in need. And the Lord is saying, if you've got an ear, give ear to what I'm saying. You see, the book, the book of Revelations in its entirety is about Jesus Christ. It is about his preeminence. It is about the wonder and majesty of who he is. It is about his call to the church and to the churches to come and say, hey, it's time to change. It's time to come out from amongst them. It's time to be different. In fact, if we fast forward in Revelations, to the overarching theme is come out of there. Come out. I've called you as a people. Hear me. Move out of there. Repent and do something different. I thought about this and I thought, you know, in, in Revelations 18, there's a charge to, to come out of Babylon. Uh, to, to, to come out. My church, my people, come out of there. And, and Babylon is always a reference to the anti-God, the culture, everything that would set itself up against the knowledge of God in ways. And I thought about this, and I thought, well, isn't it easy as, as church people, Christians, to go along with culture and think we're okay, and then when we look around, we've, we've given a little here, we've given a little here, and given a little here. And it got me thinking that culture is not neutral. The culture in the way of the day is not neutral. It has a, a purpose. It has an end. And as a people of God, that we would be so aware of that, that we would stand in righteousness. And sometimes that means we will stand outside the culture. Okay? So just keep that in mind. And then that we not lose sight that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. He's going to return that he's coming quickly and he's promising. And then at the time that he comes, that he'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. All of our thoughts about how the end ends, it's going to end. Jesus Christ is going to return. And at the time that he returns, he's setting up a kingdom to himself for his people and for his ways, and that we as believers should look forward to that time. Amen? I want to encourage you. 30 minutes is not enough time. I encourage you to pick up, pick up your Bible. If you're not reading anywhere right now, start, start in the book of Revelation. Just begin to read. Pick up all the references to, to Jesus how great he is, how wonderful he is, how, how mighty he is about all the things that he's promising, about all the righteous calls he's calling his people to. And let it stir in you. God, help me to, 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 to resemble what it is that you want for my life. Amen? Amen. Amen.